Isaiah 6, 1 through 13, and title for the message, if you want one, I've used, I think, this title before, Vision, Action, and Light. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with twain or two he covered his face, and with twain or two he covered his feet, with twain or two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole world is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, or actually cried out. It's a loud, thundering voice. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, this is Isaiah's reaction, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged, or atoned for, or covered, the Hebrew says. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, and lest they see with the eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. The Lord have removed men far away and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, the remnant that we talked about not long ago in Romans. And it shall be, and shall be eaten as the tile tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. If the average Christian today, and I've said this time and again, were asked to describe God, the majority of people invariably would say God is love. That's usually what's taught and preached from most of the pulpits. That's usually what people have in their mind. And yet some might speak of his greatness and his majesty, but most would dwell on his love. And the holiness of God would rarely be spoken of or mentioned at all today. His holiness would be treated as a minor matter. And yet the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms in many places, there's one I'm thinking of back now in 1 Peter 1 and verse 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or conduct. Why? Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Holiness is a communicable attribute of God. It's one of the attributes that he can communicate to us that we can reflect in our lives and in our hearts and minds as we live this Christian life. God's glory and his holiness are inseparable. And our God declared very 
clearly back in the book of Ezekiel 39 and verse 7. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore, and the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. He did that. He will do that again in our coming time. One of these days, every person will know that God is God, but it will be too late for many of them. It will be after the fact, as far as their salvation is concerned. We must consider this morning Isaiah's vision of God's glory and holiness and its results. I think it's important that we do so every now and again. We refresh our minds and our memories. We stir them up, I hope. And I want you to see Isaiah's vision of God's glory and holiness and its results. And I think that you'll find where a vision of God's holiness and glory is given, there's action and there's life as a result and there's service as a result. Today, we have the opposite of that is true. People make decisions and then they go off and they may go to a church or they may not. They may join one that doesn't tell them any truth. Most of the people today love to go to the large charismatic churches and the others where something's happening. And even though they may know the doctrine is off in some spots. There's so many people and everything is so great and the music's so good and all these other things are happening that they would lay aside truth. Consequently, spiritually, there's a coldness and an indifference and the falling away that Thessalonians speaks about has already begun. Now, the entire chapter, if you want to read it and study it here in Daniel, I'm sorry, in, uh, in Isaiah, deals with the record of the call and the forceful beginning of Isaiah's ministry. It's a very important beginning. He, among all prophets, I think it's a, a beautiful spot for this to take place, the way he sees God's vision of holiness and his glory and so on, what he sees in the temple, because that's what he's looking at. He's looking at the temple. It was prophesied during the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. You know, when you're in Bible school, you have to learn all the kings of Israel. I don't know if I remember them all or not. And then when the kingdom was split, the kings in the northern and southern kingdom and so on. And you study and read about each one of those kings, and you know that many of them were wicked, wicked kings, such as Ahab, Jezebel's husband, and various others. But Uzziah was different from that. And here in verses 1 through 4, here's the vision of God's glory and his holiness, and he gives Isaiah and us a vision of himself, of his throne, of the seraphim, and he speaks there in verse 1 that this happened during the time of Uzziah, the reign of Uzziah. Now, if you remember, Uzziah was a beloved king. If you want to go back and read about his kingdom and the history of that, you can go to 2 Kings 14 and 15, you can go over to 2 Chronicles, I think it's chapter 26, and you can read about King Uzziah and what took place. He was only 16 years old when he came to the throne. He reigned for 52 long years. During that time, Israel prospered. Militarily, she became a mighty force to deal with. It was Israel's golden age during that time when there was much prosperity in the land of milk and honey. But, as happens so many times, growth and prosperity brought Uzziah some pride and assumption. That little word, assumption, People are assuming today that things are all right. They're assuming that God will not come back. They're assuming they will not pay for their sins. They're assuming they're not sinners, most of them, who live in this world. I've had people tell me, well, the only sin I've committed so far is I've used God's name in vain. 
They don't understand or realize what God has to say about sin. At any rate, Uzziah offered incense unlawfully. God smote him with leprosy. And then for the rest of his life, he lived away from the public and he reigned throughout the rest of his time a leper. During that time, bad things happened in Israel. During that time, people began to become lax. And because the king was not leading and enforcing bad times, the golden age was slipping away. And there had to be a prophet, yet there was no voice talking in Israel. There was no one trying to stem the tide of evil and wicked. There was no one standing and crying out until Isaiah was called here. Do you know the unfortunate thing about this? It's not preached and taught upon because Isaiah was told, as I read to you there in that chapter, that even though he was called and sent, people wouldn't hear. They wouldn't see. They wouldn't be converted. And he would preach a message that would not be heard until the cities were laid waste, until God took the wrath and the vengeance upon his people, and yet he would leave a remnant that would be saved. But with that thought in mind, I would have you remember, I think it's Proverbs 16, 18. You can look back and see what it says. Pride goeth before, I've heard people say, pride goeth before a fall. That's not right. That isn't what Scripture says. Scripture says, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a wicked and evil thing. It will cause much trouble and difficulty. And indeed it did with Uzziah. And now notice what Isaiah is seeing. He sees the Lord sitting on his throne and he's dominant. What kind of a vision do you see in your heart and mind of God? You know, a lot of people vision him as an old man with a long beard and a sigh in one hand or as some glorious faceless being that sits on a jeweled throne or many other ideas. How do you see God this morning in your mind? Or do you? What kind of a vision do you see of him today? Most people think of him as much too small and controllable in salvation. But he's not. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's all these things because he's God. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are what? They're insignificant. They're nothing. And he, God Almighty, ruleth among the armies of the heavens, among the inhabitants of the earth. And no man can say unto him, What doest thou? No man can stay his hand. No one can stop him and say, well, wait a minute. This isn't what we want. God doesn't depend upon man's permission or man's choices to do the things that he wants to do because God is a sovereign God. He's not dependent upon our desires or decisions or directives. Notice in verse 2, this is the only place that seraphim are mentioned. The Hebrew name means to, to burn, to consume with fire. And they appear to be an angelic being with six wings. Six wings which they fold, as it says here, describes for us. They are creatures responsible for certain functions of reverent guardianship, as in this verse of worship here. And notice their cry, verse 3. Holy holy, holy, that is sacred, clean, hallowed, set apart. God is to be glorified in the Christian. And we need to glorify him and truly not just give 
or assert that we should, but we need to give him honor and glory. Jesus has glory in the church, and where do we do that here? We sing the hymns as we pray, as we love him, as we love one another. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, it tells us back in the New Testament, I want to look to make sure I don't misquote it. It's a simple verse that we say again and again. It's in 1 Corinthians 6.20. For ye are bought with a price. We mustn't forget that. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The sinner can't do that. The sinner can't glorify because God's wrath rests upon him. There are multitudes of people who go into churches today or organizations or places and they believe that they're worshiping God and they're full of pride and they're full of sin. And they don't have God within their hearts. And consequently, the wrath of God rests upon them even at this very moment. You know, that's a verse that's not well liked. It's found in John 3 and verse 36. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. You and I believe on Christ, so we have everlasting life right now. It's on us, in us. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him or her or them, wherever they are. And they're lost and without hope. In verse 4, who can stand in his glorious presence? The children of Israel saw God as a devouring fire back in Exodus 24, 17. When Moses went up, he went up for 40 days and 40 nights. But before he went, what did they see? It appeared to them as a burning, consuming fire, and they were afraid on that mountain. And so God is a burning and consuming fire. And one of these days, soon, the Bible says that he's coming back again. And how is that? In a burning, consuming fire. To do what? To take vengeance upon the wicked and all those who do not believe. How do we know that? Because the Bible says so. Listen to it in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Multitudes of people in that shape this morning. How we need to be witnesses for them, how we need to pray for their salvation. Trust that the Holy Spirit will open the hearts and minds of the elect. There must be multitudes of them left. In verse 5, notice the natural reaction to a vision of God's glory and holiness. What would it be? My, isn't it nice that God's letting us see this? That isn't what Isaiah did. Isaiah was a holy prophet, and yet, what did he do? He fell down and he said, woe is me. Woe is me. I am undone. Everyone who knows God has to have a revelation of him, a vision of his glory and holiness, as we will show you. Anyone who knows him must recognize God as sovereign and Lord over all. The Arminians say, well, choose God, make the right decision, now be careful, and then hold on to it, and if you lose it, get it again. If you lose it, get it again. A vision of God doesn't necessarily mean that you have to see God in your mind as a picture of something, but you must have the essence of his presence. What is it that gives us a desire to worship him? to read the scriptures, to pray, to love one another, and do the things that we do. It is he within us. Notice in verse 5 his reaction. He condemns himself. He sees himself in the light of God's holiness as totally unfit and unworthy of anything but condemnation. 
So that is the reaction that many people feel. He said, I'm undone. Why? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so we do today as well. We live in a society whose language in commerce and in polite society is filthy. I've never heard so much bad language. Not just from young people. From all areas, all sections of society. Words that we didn't think of saying even when I swore and did things that I shouldn't do. God says of mankind some very unhappy things. Back in the book of Romans, the third chapter, and the tenth verse. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Sounds familiar, you just heard it a few minutes ago, didn't you? They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Oh, but my mother and father were a saint. They never sinned. No, not one. But this person was the finest person I've ever met. They didn't do anything wrong. No, not one. And then he goes on to say some things there that are unpleasant. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the problem. The beginning of knowledge, what? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's what we need. I wonder if we see ourselves in this passage. I hope not. If we're saved, we realize that we came out of that and we should not be involved in it. But it's only Christ's righteousness that recommends us to God. And if we're unsaved, then that's what the Bible says that people are, wherever they are. They're this kind of thing. Everything looks glorious. You know, when you watch James Bond film and all this, by this time, if those things were true, James Bond would have been dead of AIDS a long time ago. And all these other things would have happened to all of these heroic people in real life. Hollywood makes it look good. I want you to notice in verses 6 and 7, only God can cleanse and make alive. In spite of all the world's man-exalting philosophies and religions and the other heresies of, of Arminianism and other things like that that are being preached today, only God can and will cleanse a man and save him according to his own good pleasure. Listen to what God said. And then appreciate the salvation that you have. Back in Exodus, you know, if you want to, some of you have read the Bible through, you want to begin to read it through again. The more you read it, the more it will speak to you, and the more it will show you things that you don't know. But sometimes people prefer to, to uh, study in sections. Well, you can take Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and study them as a, as a unit. If you do Exodus, well, they're all interesting books, but Exodus has a great many things in it that bless me. But in Exodus 33 and 19, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, told Moses, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me, 
Thou shalt stand upon a rock. And he did, and God passed by him. And he had a vision there that you and I have not had, that Isaiah didn't have in exactly that same way. There's a man named Zachariah Stitchin. You might have seen some of his books. Um, Return to Genesis, I think, is the latest one. And the whole trilogy is a lot. I, don't, I forget how many books are in that thing, four, or five, or six, or something. But I heard an interview with him not long ago. And he believes that, and I've forgotten the names of the people now and how far the planet is, but it's time for the planet to come back. And he ties the Bible in with space people who've begun life here on Earth and other things that they've helped us with from time to time to make a long story short. They're on their way back, and we can expect to see them. Some of them may be here now. Well, with all the strange people we have, that wouldn't surprise me if we did have something like that. But that is not what the Bible teaches us. He believes the planet will be back soon, and these people are coming back, and I don't have time to get into all that. Now, I wouldn't recommend you buy his books. Uh, they might be entertaining, I guess, but they wouldn't have much truth to them. But there are all kinds of people thinking those things, and yet here's the sovereign, eternal God who tells us what he did, and he gives us a vision of himself. What greater thing, what greater possible thrill, humbling experience could we have than to fellowship and commune with Almighty God. You know, fire always speaks of cleansing, and only God can do that through his spirit. The living fire from the altar is brought as a sacrifice. And Isaiah's lips are touched. Back in the New Testament, fire is always a cleansing. You know, the earth is going to be cleansed by fire next time we destroy it before the new heaven and the new earth are brought about. And in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9, I want to read these verses to you. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen closely to this and think about our society and the people that we have as heroes and leaders and, and so on. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. And what is, what are we talking about with effeminate? The sexually immoral here in this place. We're talking about gays as well. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. All these people have a habitual way of life like that. What's our society like? What are the examples set before us today? You and I have been cleansed by God's blood, by his power. We need to make sure our calling and election from time to time. We need to pray and be sure that we're doing what God wants us to do, the way he wants us to do it. Notice verse 7. Note the assurance of salvation. If God has cleansed you through Christ's blood, and your sins are gone, and they're never to be remembered. Isaiah 43.25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Why? So we can have a good time? No. For mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. If you are his, you have a witness within you. What's the witness? The Holy Spirit, the power of God within you, doing the things that he desires to do in and through you. He who has begun a good work in you will continue it. He will finish it. He'll continue it under the day of Jesus Christ. And in 1 John 5 and verse 10, we are told, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. 
He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. Did you see it? He has a witness in himself. The Holy Spirit is there. You can't see him. You can't talk to him as such. But he moves within your heart and mind and life. And you know we pass up. Oh what peace we often forfeit. Oh what needless pain we bear. It says in that song. You and I do that. Because we simply don't ask. Or communicate with the Lord first. We simply don't ask the spirit of God. To give us that comfort. And that peace. That we have need of. But it's there. In verse 8. Notice the vision and the cleansing. What did they bring about? A willingness to serve. Isaiah was immediately willing to serve after he had a convicting vision of God, cleansing and assurance. That's one of the things that makes a Christian. Many name his name and claim to be his, but what do they do? They just go on in the same way they've always gone. They don't change. They rarely do anything for God or about God. What's one of the marks of a Christian? This. We're not do-nothing Christians. Oh, I know sometimes we think, I don't do much of anything. But you do. When we pray one for another, when we sing, when we preach, when we just communicate and talk about the good things of the Lord, when we fellowship together, all of these things add to our Christian life. Now I want to point out something, that our God will not tolerate service that is indifferent. Jeremiah 48.10 says, Cursed be he that doeth the work of Jehovah deceitfully or negligently. That's the case these days. Many people are teaching things that people want to hear. That's all. They don't want to teach things that would cause people to be upset or to think. Luke 9.22, it can't be half-hearted. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You won't want to look back to Egypt and the things of the world. Now, I know that it's easy sometimes. That doesn't mean you'll never have a desire for something. That doesn't mean that you won't think back to a prior time when you were in sin and this or that was pleasing to you. Satan's glad to bring those things up if he can. But service to God should be just like it is here, immediate. You know, back in Mark 1 and 18, Peter and Andrew, it says, And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him straight away right now. They did what God wanted them to do. I remember a man who sang, I might have mentioned this to you, back at Lexington Baptist College, Ashland Avenue Baptist Church, a number of years back. Oh, it's been a long time now. It's been at least 15 years, I suppose, or better. And this fellow was a singer. And when he got up, he was an old man. And when he got up on the platform to sing, and he had a scarf, he took the scarf off and everything, and he sat down to play, and he was... He was along in years, and he said, I've just started, he said, my full-time service for the Lord. He said, my mother passed away just a few months ago, and she told me, now, John, you can go and serve the Lord. That's not the way to do it. Friends and loved ones and everyone else cannot hold us back from doing what we must do. I have no doubt that he wasted a good portion of his life not being able to do the things that the Lord would have him to do. We have a choice when it comes to that. It should be done in an, not only immediately, but in a humble way. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I've been at Bible conferences where people have stepped to the platform and they said, so-and-so is the greatest sovereign grace Baptist preacher in the United States today. I don't think that's a proper thing to introduce someone. 
And I've heard other flower introductions that have been given to people. And I've seen men stand up and preach and do a terrible job when they had set out a message that they felt would be the one that would win them the best place. The only thing you can do is preach what God gives you to do with the gift that God gives you to do it, humbly, obediently. Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he which doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And then he goes on to say in those verses, there'll be people who say, well, didn't we cast out demons? Did we do many mighty works? And then he'll tell them what? Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The important thing is fellowship and communion with God. Every day, even young people, we need to take a portion of that sometime during the day. If it's five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is, God will make it grow. He makes it grow with me the more time I take. But you take that and you commune with God and you just talk to him. You talk over your problems with him in the day and what he'd have you to do or how you have something coming up. All through school I prayed whenever I was going to school. Pray when I go to work, while I'm working. But we need to have some time when we fellowship and communicate with God and let him talk to us. And then finally, before we close this morning, in verses 9 through 12, you may read them at your leisure, is God's message of condemnation. He gave a warning message of condemnation to Israel at that particular time. They didn't heed it. He continues to give a warning message today about the condemnation of the world. And people are not heeding that. Isaiah's book warned that Israel, they warned them again and again of the coming judgment and the captivity that was going to come upon them. But they didn't listen. Now this prophecy had a greater fulfillment as well in the New Testament. When Jesus came to his own people, they did not receive him. It was totally within God's plan and purpose so that the Gentiles might be brought in. Jesus spoke in parables specifically to do that. He told us so in Matthew 13, 13 through 15. When the disciples asked him, he said, well, I speak in parables so they won't hear or understand all of them and be converted. It was within his plan and purpose to bring the Gentiles in. Today it's the same, is it not? For though they hear and see, they do not understand and perceive. And consequently, we have a multitude of people today who fill the churches and the religious pews around the country. They're lost. They don't know how to serve God. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let every, well, let us, every one of us, not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want to say to you as we close this morning, the order is always the same. Revelation, cleansing, service. What's the service? You're all doing service right now. You're in the service of the Lord. You're here for the morning service. You who give and pray and visit. Everything we do, we're to do it heartily is on the Lord because our life is now changed. So when I work, when you take care of the children, when you do farming, when you do whatever it is that you do, you do it heartily as on the Lord the best that you are able to. And you thank him for being able to do it. And consequently, Isaiah has given us a vision that every one of us need to have. We all need to read this portion again and again and think of what the glory of God must be like in that place. We saw it in Revelation when we started the book. We've seen it here in Isaiah. Moses had a glimpse of it. All of us can have a glimpse of it from the word. And all that we do then ought to be colored by that. Tinted by that. 
Oh, I pray that each one of us has that. And that we continue on and do the work that God has called us to do. Father, we commit these words into thy hands this morning. Take them and do with them as it pleaseth thee. Enable us to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the Ancient of Days upon his throne and realize that that is our final home and that is what's taking place in the near future. Use us all according to thy will, whatever we do, wherever we go, whatever we say. Give us the spiritual, physical, mental, material, financial healing and strength that we have need of, Father, to live the lives according to thy will. We do praise thee indeed, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.